Well, welcome back, everyone. As you can see, it has been a while. I am Daisy. And I'm Amarachi. So we're back. It has been a very, very long time. Um, and I know people have been asking, where are you guys? But we have been here in our homes, in our apartments, living life, experiencing life, um, and doing a lot of like plotting for this year. So although we weren't recording, we were still very much thinking about lunch breaks and all the things that we want to do. Um, so we're back. This is the first episode back and there's going to be more and we promise we'll not just stop <laughs> and not come back. Um, but we're really excited about this year. Yeah, I would just say, you know, only four words, new year, new us, you know, we got where we got what resolutions going on our goals. We're right on track. So definitely look out for more content from us. We're super excited what we're bringing onto the table. But yeah, I'm excited. Woo, woo, woo. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the two most famous blonde women in the world, Marilyn Monroe and Princess Diana. And to frame that conversation, we're going to be dissecting, talking about Blonde, which is a movie star, uh, starring Marilyn Monroe, LOL, which is a movie about Marilyn Monroe, currently streaming on Netflix. And we're going to be talking about The Crown, a TV series also on Netflix, which follows the British royal family. But we're only going to be talking about season five, which follows Princess Diana in the 90s. Now, the reason why we decided to do this is because, like we said, these are two women, iconic blonde women, um, who were both beautiful, both misunderstood by those around them. They were hounded by the media. They became huge cultural impacts. Unfortunately, they both met tragic ends and they never got to fully tell their story. So we'll take a break here. Go get your juice boxes, your snacks, your lunch lunchables, your lunchables. And when we get back, we're going to start with blonde and then we'll go to the crown. And we are back and better than ever. So let's start off with Blonde. For those who have not seen the movie, Blonde is based on a book by the same name by Joyce Carol Oates. And it stars the beautiful Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. It is currently streaming on Netflix. And this was also written and directed by Andrew Dominic. So before we dive in days, like, what did you, what did you, did you know anything about Marilyn Monroe? Like, what was your kind of your knowledge level? I think my knowledge of her, of her was pretty high, but I think it was just like a lot of the surface level things that we already know about her. Um, but I do, I did listen to a podcast maybe a year ago um, that really detailed her life from like her upbringing to you know, her becoming this bombshell and sex symbol to then her becoming a producer. Um, and then it, it it also dove into the differences between Marilyn Monroe, the actress, and, and then Marilyn Monroe, the person. So I guess not so service level, but I, I think I, I knew, I definitely knew a lot going into this film about her life. What about you? Um, My knowledge level on Marilyn Monroe was 
very light. <laughs> uh, I really didn't know much about her. I just knew again that she was, you know, a popular sex symbol in the in the 1950s and 1960s. But I really didn't know much about her. It was only recently that, you know, when I see little documentaries pop up or something on YouTube, I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me star this and put this on my list. The things to watch just for me to be knowledgeable uh, about her and about her life. But honestly, I didn't know nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's great. So like I came in knowing you came in not knowing, which I think it's, it's great. Cause you're going to get to, I think our perspective, actually, you know what? At the end of the day, we both came to the same conclusion about this film. Um, <laughs> that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I actually, I was going to say, oh, that definitely brought something to the film, but it, it never mind, It didn't. Um, so yeah, if you don't know anything about Marilyn Monroe before you watch this film, um, I think that's okay. If anything, it's going to force you to fact check a lot of the things, um, but you don't really need to know about her. And by the way, we're going to be talking about a lot of details, so spoiler alert. But if you know the life of Marilyn Monroe, it's not really a spoiler, unfortunately. All right, let's get into this film. Now, let's just talk about our reaction to the film, just to start. Amarachi, what what did you think about this film? Just to start Uh... off. Well, this is my personal opinion, you know, even though that this film was that fictionalized take on Marilyn Monroe's life, I truly thought this movie was erratic, okay? It was erratic, it was disturbing from the cinematography to the directing to the acting, except Anna, I truly, truly, truly believe that Andrew and Plan B had a vendetta against Marilyn. I don't care what nobody says. I really don't. But that's a personal take of mine. <laughs> yeah, I would have to uh, agree with you. Um, I And I think I one tip I'd give people before they watch this film is do not think this film is an exact play-by-play by of Marilyn Monroe's life. We actually made that mistake. We went in thinking mm-hmm. it was actually going to be a movie about her. But what we later learned after watching the film, because we were so like, what the hell did we just watch? Was that it's based on the book by Joyce Oates, and she took creative liberties in her book about her life. And then the director of this film, he took even more you know, creative liberties. So like Amarchi's saying, it was a bit erratic. It, it was disturbing because... It mainly focused on her trauma. And then we didn't even get a break of that trauma. I felt like every 10 minutes, something insane was happening to her. So it was very disturbing to watch. And I do agree with what Amarachi just said, that like maybe they had a vendetta against her because it, it, it really lacked a lot of empathy and sympathy for her. And maybe that was their intention, but it, it, it definitely did not leave us in a good spirit afterwards. If I was taking my myself just kind of going in there truly blindly, not looking at things that were disturbing or things that seem erratic. Like, I think the director really want to focus on like her past loves, her addiction, the abuse, but they just did it in such a heinous way that they were like, yo, let me burn, let me burn this whole thing up, lit it up to flames. So it was just very, it was very confusing how they took that approach and decided to just did a whole 360. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, that's, I think, one of the points we wanted to talk about is like, you know, when you watch the movie, it feels very exploitive. We both walked away thinking this, like there's definitely ways to have a movie that focuses on the trauma of a woman 
And there's a way to do it delicately, but still harsh enough for us to like sympathize with that. But we just felt as if this movie really took, I don't want to say the word advantage, but it was very, it felt very exploitive. And I think one example is that there's, there's a few scenes where she did not need to be naked, um, but they made her be naked. And I'm going to describe a scene, sorry. And also trigger warning, because, you know, there's, a, we're going to talk about abuse in this next part, but, um, there's a scene where her one of her husbands comes home and he's in a jealous rage and she's sitting on the bed without a like she's topless and then he slaps her and already you can see she's in a vulnerable position because she's sitting down and he's standing and he's a lot taller than her a lot stronger than her and then she's just on the floor laying there topless and then she calls him daddy so it was just like it was just those types of scenes where like does she actually need to be topless in that scene you know, what What did that really add to the narrative other than telling us like, yeah, she's incredibly vulnerable, but I, but we feel there's so many ways to show that within that one scene. The worst scene of that whole entire movie, in my opinion, is when she gets drugged by the Secret Service after disturbingly servicing President Kennedy and was dumped at her house. <laughs> and then all we see is like darkness. It's like... You know, the audience is like seeing everything in night vision. So think of paranormal activity, literally, underneath <laughs> the sheets. Yeah, but you're right. You're right. Underneath the sheets. And she is scared out of her mind because she knows someone. She feels that there's a presence in the room, which there is. There are like hidden men in each corner. And what is crazy about it? She is naked under the covers. Why does she have to be naked? Because... I'm still trying to understand why she was naked. And then on top of that, she gets kidnapped <laughs> and then gets taken oh to the abortion center. Again, even talking about it gives me, it just makes me sick to my stomach. But just yeah, because yeah. And, if she was kidnapped naked, I don't know why. Yeah. And again, yeah, it could be like a a, a choice and a tool to to be used to really um, have the audience feel that state of like paranoia she was experiencing and like the anxiety and all of those things. But again, you know, she definitely did not, I just did not think she needed to be naked and we're not, and we don't, we're not like against nude scenes, but I, I we always say that nude scenes need to be served for something in the storyline. And especially when you're dealing with women who have always been objectified on screen. And then especially when you're dealing with Marilyn Monroe, who was the most objectified person and yeah. everyone only looked at her as a sex symbol and nothing more. So when you, when this film is um, retelling her trauma in a way that feels exploitive, it's like, what are we really doing? You know? Yeah. And you brought up, you know, again, trigger one, you brought up abortion that she there in the film. She, um, in the film, it documents two, two, two abortions, one miscarriage or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that was incredibly disturbing. This film, how much did it take to how much did it take to make this film? You know, twenty two million. You know, I'm going to have that. You know I'm have that. And I, th we think the majority of the movie went to um, this graphic that they did when Marilyn Monroe goes to the abortion clinic. And also, the way that happened was also really insane because you see her making a choice to do it because of her career, mm -hmm. and then when she's going to the abortion clinic, she's like, she doesn't want to do it anymore. And then there's this scene of her in the room where all she sees, she's looking up and all she sees is men just like strapping her down. And then they give us a visual of the actual abortion happening. 
which is just so violating. I felt like I was in a gyno appointment and that's not, it was so disturbing. It's sorry for anyone who's listening to this, but it was very, very disturbing, but it's also, but it's another example of how, um, how far this movie went into, I don't even, it was just such an extreme retelling of that. And then you have another scene where I think while she's having the abortion or after it, the fetus is talking to her. Oh, I forgot about that. I literally yeah. forgot about that. Like the, the, the whatever is talking to her and why have those elements there? And maybe we need to read the book to understand it in the context of the book, but I still don't understand why, why those certain things have to be there. Um, I'm just, I'm I think we, we both talked about this and also agreed. We both love the television show Handmaid's Tale and the Handmaid's Tale is a very hard pill to swallow. It's, it's not for the weak. Um, and we see the main character, June, like always trying and trying to survive and to save her daughter. And sometimes we see it in the most like gruesome way, but it's weirdly tasteful. And the directors, the writers just know how to showcase this in front of an audience. But in Blonde, it was just so cringy. Like it was so cringy that we just, you couldn't even have any empathy for Marilyn at all. Because you just didn't know what was going on. You didn't know what was going on. You're wondering what was happening. No, you know why? You know <laughs> why? Are, because they're talking. I don't know. You know why? You know why, Amarachi? You cannot feel empathy for Marilyn because you were you were so caught up in, in empathizing with yourself. You had to console yourself because that's how traumatic these scenes were. We had to console each other. We weren't even thinking about Marilyn. I turned to Amarachi. I'm like, are you okay? There was a point where I was like, do you want me to pause this? Because she was not okay. Glad you compared it to Handmaid's Tale because you're right. This show covers abuse and all those things, but it's done in such a, I don't want to say delicate because it is very harsh, but it's, it's done in such an intentional way. I feel like yeah. every time I'm watching Handmaid's Tale and there's a scene about like, you know, one of those, you know, very explicit uh, abuse scenes or anything, it, it, it's meant to tell something about the story. Mm-hmm. But when it came to Blonde, it just felt as if they were just pu- putting things in there. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we're laughing, oh. but that, that's really what happened. And let me tell you guys that me and Daisy watched this movie twice, okay? So we yes. just oh. talking about. We watched this cringy movie twice okay yeah yeah we um my roommate wanted to watch it and and we rewatched it with her i also wanted just to see if we missed anything the first time or or maybe we were so just shocked by everything that we weren't paying attention to the story and no that wasn't the case yeah that wasn't the case and speaking of of the story let's talk about just the plot um, cause as we said in the beginning, I, I went into the movie knowing uh, a good amount of, uh, about Marilyn. So I think I was able to follow the beginning parts in the movie. A little, no, just the beginning. Actually, I was able to follow that a little bit, but I remember being 30 minutes into the movie and I, and I paused it and I asked Amarachi, do you understand what's going on? And you said, no, I don't. There's no storyline whatsoever. And we learn nothing about this woman, especially the opening scene. You know, knowing it's her mother, she's in a fire next minute. It it just happened so quickly in a way that you couldn't even keep up. You didn't know what was going on. They took one girl from, from, from the fire to 
adoption agency. And then next minute she was all grown up going to um, a film director or a film producer set getting abused again, or excuse me, essayed, uh, sexually uh, assaulted. It's just, it was mind blowing. I was like, where were we? And that was in the first 30 minutes. That was in the first 30 minutes. Yeah, it was really, if you've never, if you don't know anything about her life aside from her being a sex symbol, that was a very, it was a very choppy, the the the, the plot and the way the, the movie progressed, it was incredibly choppy because you'd have one scene where she's in a movie theater, the next scene she's meeting her future husband, but they don't even tell you that's her future husband. You have to like get the contextual clues. But if you don't know any of that, then you're then your brain is doing so much work that you're not even paying attention to what's going on in the actual scene. Um, so it was very choppy. The time lapse, I, I didn't I didn't get what was happening. One minute she was in California, the next minute she was in New York. And, you know, there's there's a part of Marilyn's life where she did move to New York and had this whole revival going to the actress studio. So you think that's what that is, but it's not. So it's just like you're trying to figure out where she's at in her life. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely also felt like this film was just super amateur, like all throughout, all throughout, which is, I'm going to be honest, because there's no reason that no one could understand where anything was going. And like you, you just said, we didn't even know what time period she was. It wasn't until probably talked about almost eight to ten years of her life. Correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. and or even more because it started off when she was a child. So we don't even know what time period she was on because again, we watched this movie twice until she meets the playwright, which is acted by Adrian Brody. And that's when, when we finally knew what time period it was, when she went to New York. Yeah. Like, it went yeah, to it was very... life. Yeah, and, and like you said, like we didn't, we didn't really walk away knowing anything new about her. It just reinforced that she had a sad life and you know that's pretty well documented. Um, and, that, and those are things that people know, but we really didn't really learn a lot about her. And I think that's why we, we say to anyone who's going to watch the film, no, this is not an actual telling of her life. It's not going to cover the parts that I think we were both super interested in seeing, or I was, because I, I knew a little bit more, just about like, you know, her being a producer or who was. And you know what? Here's, actually, here's the thing. If this film was going to be about her trauma, how about we see how that trauma is affecting Norma Jean. Norma Jean is her actual name, Marilyn Monroe's her stage name. But there wasn't really like a difference between Marilyn Monroe, the sex symbol, and she, who she was at home. And I think they tried to get those parts, but it was so covered up by the choppiness and the trauma that we didn't really get those moments alone with her, you know? And then as we're going from trauma to trauma, there needs to be a little bit of a, a breathing room for the audience to catch up and, and also the actor to, and I know they, they shoot you know, different scenes on different days. So it's not like they don't shoot everything from like A to Z. But I even feel like for as an actor, like I like I didn't even see her grow within the film. There's no really character yeah. development. Mm-hmm. Not at all. If, if you told me this movie took place in two weeks, I would have believed you. I would have because there was no difference between Marilyn Monroe starting off in the business and Marilyn Monroe at the end. And that we know that's a lie. Like, it does just like as humans we grow and especially her i think she did grow yes she went through a lot of stuff but but knowing where she was at at the end of her life with you know being a, done production and all those things and i'm sure certain anxieties still followed her and certain addictions but i didn't see any character progression whatsoever 
could be wrong. No, I, sometimes I'm still, I'm, I'm still like scratching my head to wonder where that 22 million went to, because even down to the costumes, lazy, no. lazy. No. Yeah. And I think the costumes, um, good, good on mentioning that. I think what we noticed is that the costumes were, um, were of her, like everything she wore were things that she's known for wearing. Yeah. Right. So like all of her iconic looks, but once again, if we're going to do something about her life and again, people argue this, this is not about her life. It's about her trauma and whatever. Um, if we're still going to have those intimate moments of her in her home, experiencing the things that she experienced, I would have loved, I don't know. I would have just loved to see different costuming because yeah. again, it, it kind of reinforced the idea that this movie is about Marilyn Monroe bombshell and all the all the trauma that she went through, but nothing about who was Marilyn Monroe behind all of that bombshellness and and how did that trauma really affect her on on a human level? We didn't really get the human side of her, even as she was experiencing all of these things. Yeah, again, this movie could have went several different ways. Honestly, mm -hmm. it could have been beautifully done especially with that 22 mil that they spent and wasted um i'm just <laughs> wondering why did why was this the way that andrew decided to go to i have it me and davy me and daisy have not read the book yet and it was known that joyce um the author of blonde she enjoyed the movie the movie so apparently maybe it's yeah <laughs> it goes hand maybe to hand. i don't mm -hmm. know but let me tell you, I will not be rewatching this movie. I will not be reading that book. Someone better give me a cliff notes, whatever. But <laughs> baby, it, I'm not reading that. I'm not going to get read. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to like summarize everything, we clearly didn't like this. But of course, I mean, there are people, the people who, you know, there are people who liked it. But I do want to, I do want to say, I know we've been bashing on this movie, but I we do want to give a shout out to Ana de Armas, who played Marilyn Monroe, because I think she did such a beautiful job. And no doubt, I think she's nominated for a Golden Globe and most certainly will be nominated for an Oscar because she did an excellent job. And I think that's actually what made us continue watching the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, we could have stopped at Midway, but we decided to watch it. And we watched it again because... She uh, she really embodied who Marilyn was with with the script that she was given, and I actually wish to see her play. play I would have loved to see her play Marilyn with a different script because I think she would have done such an incredible job. But she got the physicality right. Um, she has an accent, and she got the voice really, really well. And I know a lot of people were worried about that, but she got the voice really well. Um, and they even did scenes where like they placed her in like a, a Marilyn Monroe movie, and I. Could not. I mean, you could tell the difference, but she just did such an amazing job. And hats off to her, because that was a that was a lot. That was a lot. And I wonder if she's okay, because she must have gone through so that's much. A, that, you know what? That's a good question. Anna, are you okay? But just like Daisy mm -hmm. said, she was super captivating. Even like even though we we basically bashed the movie, her performance wasn't completely wasted. And I really hope that she gets recognized for those uh, for this movie. Uh, for the acting that she did. Yeah, yeah, she did a good job. And also the cin cinematography was pretty cool. They had a lot of beautiful scenes, but they they didn't make sense. They didn't make sense, right? They did, I yes, I but I just felt like it didn't make sense and some weren't needed. Like the shaking yeah, of exactly. the camera, like I felt like they, 
again, this is me looking at this in a amateur's director lens or amateur's screenwriter lens, whatever you want to call it. But I just feel like when you see something really good, you see something really good. And when you see something that's really not, and you just want to make sense of it, it's just like, why? Like, usually you can tell why a director did this. Like, if you're looking at a Quinta Tarantino film, he puts a lot of cuts, uh, a lot of different shots, and it just goes with the story. And that's what makes Tarantino Quentin Tarantino. And that's, he's also a different story for a different day. However, with Andrew, you are just kind of wondering, why do we need this? Why do we need that? And even when it came to editing, it just, it didn't feel like someone who has been in this industry for X amount of years. Oh my God. God. But this is coming, who am I? Again, who am I? This is a personal opinion. (laughs) This is a personal opinion. Just no, Amarachi, you went to you went to director camp when you were in high school, okay? Amarachi so went to director camp and she was featured in the promo video to get more people to sign up for director camp. So my girl knows what she's talking about. But I, I like what you said. Stylistic choices, they also need to feed the story and the plot. But there's a lot of things that were happening, a lot of zoomed in shots on, on like remember how the, the blow in the dress scene took like 10 minutes was not needed maybe those maybe like seven minutes could have gone to like something else so agreed agreed it was pretty but you're right you're absolutely right pretty for what well we're gonna wrap up blonde here and we're gonna take a small break and i when we come back we're gonna talk about the crown Okay, we are back. So in this section, we're going to be talking about The Crown. And The Crown, for those who don't know, it's a show about the British royal family. So it takes us behind the scenes each season. Each two seasons is a different cast because it's meant to document a different era, decade in their lives. But for the intents of this episode, we're just going to be talking about season five, which covers Princess Diana in the 90s in her prime. So same question you asked me. Amarachi, did you know a lot about Princess Diana jumping into this? First of all, before I even tell you that, what happened to your British accent? Oh my God, I apologize. I apologize. It's very hard when I'm in this. Uh, I apologize. It's just sometimes when I'm in the States, when I'm stateside, it, I, I default back to the American accent. Just checking. <laughs> but no, to answer your question, uh, I actually knew a lot about Princess Diana from my mom. My mom mm-hmm. has magazines with Princess Diana on the cover, um, newspaper articles, printouts. That woman is obsessed. I don't know what type of chokehold Princess Diana got on the African aunties or just women in co- women of color in general, but she does. And I think it's just because she always stood up for herself, stood up for what, uh, what she believed in. Uh, and then she also really cared about her role and the people of Britain, actually, actually the people that she truly influenced, you can just, it just kind of oozed out of her. But besides, you know, what I have learned from my mom, like I did a lot of research from books, you know, YouTube videos and such forth. What about yourself? Same, same story. I knew a lot about her because my African mom loved her and you were right. 
There's something African mommies and aunties, they love Princess Diana. There's just something about her that they love. So yeah, growing up, I knew a lot about, about Princess Diana. And then um, I think being born in Kenya, I was more familiar with like the British royal family, unfortunately, because they colonized us. Uh, um, so we learned a, a little bit about them in school. Um, so I knew a lot going into this. And and I'm a Diana stan. I've always liked her. Always loved her, just like my mommy. And you know, I'll probably pass this on to my child. You uh, know you are, but I'm going to do the same. I will. I so will. But I think, like you said, for those who don't know Princess Diana, she, um, Diana Spencer is her real her full name. She got married to Prince Charles, who's now currently King Charles. Um, and she met him when she was like 18, 19, so very, very young. And King Charles was an older man, I think in his probably late twenties or early thirties. Um, but as soon as they got into the marriage, it just did not go well. I think she was looking for love and he, she was not the person he would have chosen for himself. He was in love with another woman, but that's, that's a whole different story for another time. But because of the fact that their relationship wasn't as stable as she wanted it to be, it caused a lot of tension. Um, especially when princess Diana started getting more popular than he was. Um, and then eventually they divorced and all of that. Um, so season five covers them leading up to the divorce. So this is when she's gaining more of her independence. Um, you get to see her, uh, Prince Harry and Prince William in the show, but this covers that decade where it was like, this is not going to work. So like, let's divorce. So going into the, into the season, what did you think of one, the actor who played her, Elizabeth Debicki, um, and, and the moments they, they focused uh, on Princess Diana? I think they did a fabulous job. Um, Daisy coerced me to watch the show. Let me stop. But Daisy did encourage me to watch this show. Um, I always decline, respectfully. But, you know, I am a Princess Diana stan. So when I know she was going to be on this current season, I, you know, I had to dive in. I had to jump. Um, so I think the actress who played her did a phenomenal job um, reading a lot of articles. Um, people said it felt like literally like it was so spooky because she just mm -hmm. it was a mirror effect. Like she talked like her. She walked like her. She looked like her. Um, so I think she did a fantastic job. Like I felt I one thing I don't know if you, Daisy, or anybody else who else is listening out there, if when you are so in tune with a show or with a movie that you forget that they're completely acting, like you feel like you're in their world. And that's what this actress did for me. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I would have to agree. I think they did such a good job with casting. And The Crown does a really good job with research. And the whole premise of the show is to humanize um, the British royal family. And I think they did a really good job with her. And there's just so much information about her. Mm -hmm. So much information um, that you wonder, like watching this, are we going to learn anything new? Um, all of those things. But I do think um, the actress did a really good job. And you're right. There are some moments where you're watching her and you're like, whoa, <laughs> like, like this actress was like born to play her. And now, um, and now, like we said, there's been, I think, so much about her. I think every year there's like a book written about her. Um, there's definitely a lot of like tabloid media coverage on her. She eventually gave an interview. She eventually helped write a book about her life. I, I think given that, do you think you learned anything new about her? Why? I will say no, just because I'm someone who loves to research 
so much things. So a lot of these things I already knew. It was just really cool seeing that play out in this quote unquote fictional wink, wink (laughs) way. We know it wasn't really fictional because everything was plain to see. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to agree with you again. I felt I didn't, I didn't really learn anything new and I really, really wanted them to spend more, more time with her just like when she's not in the public and everything. Mm. Cause I, I even remember when I watched the first, the first episode, cause I felt like the first episode was mainly her being with King Charles and the cameras are after her and in, in public. And I remember after that episode, I'm like, Ooh, I'm not really like, I love the actress, but I'm not really, I'm not getting this performance just yet. But then when we went into the second episode and second and third episode, it was more her in her apartment, just being herself. And that's when you start seeing like glimpses of like who Diana was. And then I went back to the first episode and watched it. I'm like, the actress did a really good job with what she was given of showing us like public Diana and then um, Diana at home. So I do think the actress inserted her own little things in there, like her humor, um, maybe the anxiousness she felt. But I just wish the crown itself spent more time with Diana. I think that's what was lacking. I don't think it was the actress. I think the scenes that they gave her was okay, but I feel like we should have gotten a lot, lot more. And there's so many things happening. Like, remember when, um, I think the episode where Prince, uh, King Charles and Camilla, their little audio tape came out. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Yeah. Remember that episode? I felt like they could have dedicated a little bit more time to, I guess Princess Diana's reaction to that. So I I think it it felt more like a highlight reel of all the moments we know she's had. And then those just quiet moments at home. But it wasn't it wasn't enough to be like, oh, wow, they're doing something so groundbreaking with this show that we're learning so much new information. If anything, I think we got to learn more about Charles and Camilla. I didn't want to do that. than 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 Princess Diana. Which is true. But I I definitely do feel that even though this was a bit of Charles focus, but for the Mm -hmm. audience, I felt like we were able to sympathize with Diana more. You know, yeah, there's books, there's Uh tape recordings, there's this, there's that, but we get to kind of see in this wink, wink, fictional way that makes you like, damn, like baby girl, you were going through it. Baby girl, Charles didn't no Mm help. You know, even when Mm -hmm. that that first episode when they're on vacation and you know the only reason why they're in this place together because it's the only time that Charles had to even make it more enticing for Charles to even go because he didn't want to go in the first place was to bring his friends Mm. right so she's making all the sacrifices you can see that you can see it happening because in some reality reality, but in some sense it kind of did happen for whatever the paparazzi Mm -hmm. has shown and whatever she has talked about in her on her tapes like she was always have to sacrifice something. This is the only thing that she wanted. So I felt like I was able to empathize with her more. I felt that even with the writing mm-hmm. side, they just really heavily leaned on Diana's side more. We were able to see Charles shenanigans for what it was. You know, I felt yeah, like yeah. a lot of the tabloids and even just, even the royal family itself was trying to high that Camilla was like, she wasn't as bad as everyone was making it seem. 
But she did find a way to interject herself where she wasn't supposed to. End of story. That's fair. That's fair. And I, I do agree. I think that the time, the moments we did have with her on screen, you know what? I think where my reaction is coming from is because I actually would have loved it to be a full season of Princess Diana. And I think that's where it's coming from. I just want more. <laughs> that's it. Because you're right. Because what she, because the scenes that we did get were were pretty good. And you're right. I think right away you're able to sympathize with how she was treated and what she was going through. Since we talked about costuming with um, Blonde, I thought they did a really good job with costuming in this show of Princess Diana because you have the public her and then the her when she's more relaxed. And the costume designers, they said that they pull a lot of inspiration from just like all her streetwear looks that, you know, when the paparazzi got her and they said, oh, if she's wearing this to the gym, then she probably has a more relaxed look when she's at home. And we got to see that her and a lot more baggier silhouettes, um, sweatshirts, Harvard sweatshirts and stuff like that. Things that she's known for wearing, but they added their own little mixture into it and it added to the story. Exactly. So Something good. that blonde could never <laughs> you know one day you might meet this andrew guy <laughs> i will and i'm gonna tell him the truth that this is what i said and that's and i exactly. meant it um another thing that they they highlighted which i thought it was good to show is that how isolated her her world was because yeah. remember the scene where it's like oh we need to call your friends for sources and all she was calling were people like she like her masseuse and her her acupuncturist and so not really like friends friends so i thought they did a really good job of of because she was alone in a majority of her scenes um so i thought that was a really good call because i feel like when you see her in the public you're like oh my god she's beloved everyone's obsessed with her but seeing her at home and how alone she felt not so good yeah i think the time when i knew she was really alone is when she was calling uh, Prince William, like at school every other uh, every other day, mm -hmm. and he, she was he's basically like, "Mom, yeah. stop calling me." I was like, "Damn." Another thing I liked is they showed the differences between her and the rest of the family, which is what mm. led to a lot of the tension. She's a lot more personable, a lot more funny, um, and we do not see that with the rest of the characters, even when they're at home. They they're still very stiff, so stiff. But and you get to see her being a, a little bit more loosey goosey, funny. I, the, I obviously you would want to hang out with Diana versus them, but I like that they showed the the differences between her small world and 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 them. You're right. And now that you said that, it just solidified what he was talking about. He said, he literally mm -hmm. says that everyone, the way they are outside is the same way they're at home. So they are so stiff. They feel like a robot. They feels like there's no personality whatsoever. So for them to mm -hmm. show that before Harry was able to even say anything, they already knew. So as we come to the end of our Blonde series, um, yeah, so as as we said, you know, um, so much has been written about these two women, documented, um, and, and the misunderstanding of both of them. Um, we think that Crown did a little bit of a better job to try to, like, frame who Princess Diana was, but we definitely wanted more. And there's going to be a season six that's going to follow her through the 90s. So I'm hoping in, in season six, we get a little bit more of that. Blonde, not so much. That one was just, it felt like a horror movie. It really did. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be other Marilyn Monroe movies, but I, and I hope those ones focus more on who she was as a human, which, which the crown did a, a really, really good job of. Um, so we'll leave it here 
I feel like you guys have enough information to go watch these things and come tell us about it. And when we come back, we're going to do a food for thought. And the food for thought is going to be, are biopics ethical or moral or something like that? We'll be back. And we're back. Back to our food okay. for thought. Food for thought. Um, so Daisy, you were just coming in saying what the food for thought was. Can you just remind the beautiful folks? It, just in case it got carried yeah, away. So the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the food for thought is, are biopics morally good or bad? And the reason why we ask that is, again, you know, both of everything we discussed today is about other people's lives. People who, um, because of, you know, they both had tragic ends to their lives, um, they weren't able to fully share all of their lives to us. Princess Diana, we did see that interview, but again, that was just like a, a picture in time. It did not really, we don't have like a, a conclusion uh, interview of her, a book of her. So seeing that there's so many biopics of the two women we just discussed, um, another one I can think of is Whitney Houston. I feel like, I think they just released another movie of her this year. Um, are they good or bad? Um, I think this was a great food for thought. It definitely made me start thinking a lot. I think it's it's neutral. You know, we have seen some biopics that are really, really bad. I'm sorry, just like Flex Washington, Michael Jackson, that has to go. <laughs> like it's one of the ones that you're like so like you literally you can't even speak because you don't know what you're seeing on television, right? Mm -hmm. But then you see some really good ones. I'm trying to think of one that was like wow, I actually took back something. You know what's kind of sad? Because I can't really think of one on top of my head. Um, <laughs> but I think there are some that are done very beautifully. And I think they should continue. we should continue making them. But we should continue making them with the consent of the people that we're making those things with. Because I feel like people, you know, people are like, oh, well, this person, this person, hold on. Let's relax. Do we? Does this person want their story to be out there? Who, who are the directors? that are telling these stories, what production is holding this story. Uh, I think it's, it's, it all depends who is really taking care of this story. And sometimes I feel like that's what, where it comes down to. Um, so yeah, that's, that's on me. Cause this, this question did really make me think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you. I think having some form of consent from the family, um, if that person's not alive or, of, or that actual person, if they still are, because that's still a thing. Um, and, an, and another thing to add to what you said is just make sure like you're saying something new. Again, there's now the fifth Whitney Houston movie. And I read some reviews and people are saying that it's just it's just the same old thing that it's covering. It, it becomes a point where if you're if we're making like a fifth movie about somebody, it, it starts to feel as if you're like take like it's exploitive. And you're just mm. doing it to make money. You know what I mean? Especially when you don't have anything new to say all about that person. I feel like that's when it feels wrong. Yeah. So I just have something new to say. And speaking of that, I, I'm going to segue into a more modern thing. Unless you have any more thoughts. No, I don't have any more thoughts. And, and speaking of, of, you know, biopics and people telling their stories and all that. It's funny that we're recording this today because this is when Prince Harry's book comes out. 
And for those who have been, I guess, living under a rock, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle left the British royal family. They just had a Netflix documentary come out a few weeks ago. And then now Harry um, released his book and he's been giving a series of interviews about, you know, actual behind the scenes stuff of the British royal family, uh, stuff the crown did not cover. Let me say that. And a lot of people have been saying, like, why is he talking so much? But I think what Amaranch and I were were talking about was, you know, he he his mother passed away at such a young age and his mother was written about by so many people. And then Ooh. him and his brother were written, written about by so many other people. Um, there's so many books out there about Prince Harry that are unauthorized, meaning he has nothing to do with them. There's even more books and documentaries about Princess Diana, about people who claim that they know her and how she lived her life. Um, and now there's a lot of books and, and documentaries about Meghan Markle herself. So I feel like his need to really, you know, do this documentary and say the book, I think it comes from a place of I don't want to say trauma, but a place from like, no, 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 no. I'm going to tell my story because I see what you've done to the people in my life who I care about. And I'm not going to, there's never going to be a, a question mark or a what if you're going to have me coming from my mouth, exactly what I think about my life and who I am as a person. Honestly, Daisy, you said that so perfectly. And I, it didn't click to me until now. It's like, yeah, his, his life has been written or talked about by everyone except him. And this is his only chance where he felt so free to share with the world how he has been feeling for the past over 20, uh, excuse me, almost 30, uh, over 30 years. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at some of these documentaries or you look at some of these tabloids or even articles, they talk about Harry being the bad boy or Harry going into the military, Harry traveling, Harry doing this, Harry doing that. And you really didn't know what Harry was doing because Harry hardly talked. You know, he was like in and out. You really, really saw like the glimpse of him maybe doing this, doing that, but you never really heard him talk about anything personal until he met uh, Megan. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic way. And for people who are saying, well, you know, you're talking too much. Hey, number one, you never been, you, you're never going to be in Harry's shoes. Seeing your mom get- You're never going to be a prince. <laughs> you're never going to be a prince. But seeing your mom like get killed by the paparazzi, basically, seeing your mom get abused by everyone, right? And seeing her just getting like tossed like trash and then die, never even had a relationship with her. And then knowing that people say, well, you can't tell your story. Yo, shut up. <laughs> like, he, he, like, it's just, it is just, the world is a funny place. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, circling back to the food for thought, you know, and that's why we, we question it is it morally good or bad biopics, because especially when the family is not involved, like you're taking somebody's life, especially when it's a documentary and you're ingesting it with, oh, this person, I heard it from this person who heard it from this person who talked to Princess mm -hmm. Diana or Marilyn Monroe or this person that this is how, this is who they were as a person. But imagine being the family and you're watching all of these things be talked about, about somebody you are close to, who you lo loved. Um, and people are just like, I don't want to say making things up, but they're just making money off of, off of your life. Exactly. Um, yeah, I feel like that's like a, it must be like a really crazy experience. So I feel like on that note, you know, there is some sympathy there, sympathy there for Prince Harry. And hey, if it's going to make him happy, let him make him happy. But 
I, I think I felt like when I saw all those interviews and the documentary and, and the book, I was like, oh yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm taking control of, of the narrative of my life and, and all of that. And especially since, and I, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, he can just ignore it. You can't ignore it whatsoever. And that's what drives me crazy is that we're telling someone, so, we're telling someone what to do when we never been in their shoes. Because let me tell you, if the roles were reversed, my mouth will be chomping. I will be, well, not chomping, but my mouth will be yapping. Okay. I will be yapping. Yeah. I'll be yapping. I I already know the type of person I am already. So I'm definitely going to be a rebel because I will hate to hear what well, Amarachi did so-and-so. Whoa, 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 whoa. Amarachi mm. didn't do none mm. of that. That's, Y'all going to hear my story That's fair. Today. That's fair. No, that's fair. And and then if you think about Amarachi, like imagine like all of your life has been documented and people have had um, something to say, you know, and, and a lot of those things are untrue. <laughs> that is scary. And then your life. And the thing is, uh, yeah. And, and the thing is, I think people, uh, you know, he was born into this life. And, and by that, I mean, like he was born into a public life. Um so like from the moment he was a baby, the moment he was in the womb, people already started writing things about him and stuff like that. And and yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. I'm sure there are other sides. We're so excited to do um, cover both of these stories and biopics in general, or whatever. Is because like at the end of the day, like we're watching a movie for entertainment purpose, but th- those are actual people that we're watching it's not really a character and and yes blonde like yeah we took creative liberties but there's still a person um and if you know they have living relatives and they're watching that you're you're kind of dehumanizing that person in a way so you got to handle those biopics with a lot of care we've come to the end of this episode i hope you guys enjoyed it um, please let us know your thoughts on on blonde and the crown and even megan and harry we 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 want to hear it all, and what else, Amarachi? Am I? What am I forgetting? I, we haven't done this in so long. And nothing. Um, I think the main things is let us know your thoughts. Do you want to watch Blonde? I highly do not recommend. Um, oh my god! But please follow us on our social, which is lunch at lunch breaks on IG. But until later, guys, and I'm gonna have Daisy wrap us out. Get back to work because lunch break is over.